knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Last week we started the section titled Danger here in Colossians and in this section Paul is defending the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ against three main dangers that the Colossian believers were facing and those three main dangers were empty philosophies, religious legalism, and false doctrines. But before Paul gets into these specific dangers that they were facing, in the first seven verses, he gives us ten things that you and I need to be to help protect us uh, against these different things that are dangers coming against us. And last week we started by looking at the first four things that we need to be to help protect us from danger. Uh, First, we need to be encouraged and encouragers. Second, we need to be knit together with other believers in love. Third, we need to be continually growing in our understanding, knowledge, and wisdom of Jesus. And fourth, we need to be on guard and in the Word in order to not be deceived. Well, this morning we're going to finish this list of ten things that Paul gives us here and really just recognize these are all things, no matter what danger it may be, whether it's false doctrine or empty philosophies or legalism, you know, there's many more dangers that we face as well. And these are all protective measures, things that we can do to help protect us from these things that are going to come against us. And so let's start with the fifth thing that Paul tells us to be here in verse 5. It says this, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. If you remember back in verse 1, Paul shared about the battle that he was fighting on the behalf of these Colossian believers. And this battle was really fought in prayer. And he says, you know what, even though you haven't seen me face to face, even though I haven't been able to come to you and meet many of you, you know, I'm still with you, battling with you through prayer. And he kind of picks up that same idea here at the start of verse 5. He says, though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. Hey guys, I know I'm absent. I know I'd actually have never even been to your church yet. I'm not with you physically, but I am with you spiritually. I'm with you in spirit. I pray for you. I'm fighting with you. And he goes on to tell us two things that he rejoiced in in concerning the Colossian believers. He says, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So Paul says, hey, there's two things that I really rejoice in concerning you guys, especially since all these dangers are coming against you. I rejoice in your good order, and I rejoice in the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now, it's really interesting, these two Greek words translated order and steadfastness, they were used in the context of the military. Uh, the Greek word translated order means a disciplined rank or an ordered arrangement. 
And so this word was used to speak of the different ranks in the military and the ordered arrangement that there would be from general down. Uh, and so this was something that was very important. If, if you don't have the proper rank and understanding of your rank and understanding of the authority of people over you and obeying that authority, then you're going to have real issues in the army. And so this was something that was very important to be ordered and disciplined in this aspect. And so when you were fighting, you knew who was giving the commands and who was supposed to obey those, and that you would be able to um, fulfill those in the role that you had. Now, the Greek word translated steadfastness means something solid or immovable. This was also to speak of an army that was set out really to have this kind of unbreakable line. As you're going to battle, you want to have the line of men there who are going to be fighting the under army. You, know, you want to be immovable so when they come that you can withstand their charge and ultimately defeat them. And, you know, really Paul most likely has in mind the Roman army that was in power at this time because they excelled greatly in both of these two aspects of things that he is speaking in. They were extremely disciplined. And one of the reasons they were so disciplined was because the consequences were very severe if you weren't, but they recognized the rank of authority. They understood who was above them and that their role was to be obedient to that and follow orders, and they were very disciplined in that. But they are also one of the greatest armies when it came to ultimately being this immovable force. You know, uh, they had this way in which they would come and attack, and the first men, they would have these large shields that they would hold in front, and the men behind them in rows would hold the shields above their head and they're kind of like this human tank they would just come forward you got the shield wall of shields here shields across the head so any arrows that would come no one would get hit and then when they would finally stop the army would come and they would try to rush them and all the men would brace themselves and so it wasn't just the first group but all the people behind would all lean into the attack and they were kind of this immovable force and they were just dominating other soldiers and wiping them out uh, and so you know this is something that Paul here is bringing up this importance of you know having both this ordered recognition of ranks and this steadfast immovable reality to the battle because he sees you know what you guys are in a battle. Colossians, you have these dangers, you have this enemy, you have these things coming against you, and I rejoice in the fact that you are ordered, you understand who you rank under, and the fact that you have been immovable in the faith. All these attacks haven't moved you. They haven't caused you to go, you know what, I'm going to take over. I'm going to now be the, the man in charge and Jesus is not going to give the orders to me anymore. They haven't moved from the faith. They haven't moved, which is ultimately what all these attacks have tried to do to them. And this is something that, you know, we need to recognize just like the Colossian believers, we're under regular attack. We have the dangers that are facing us. We have the enemy. We have the world. We have all these things coming against us. And we need to recognize, okay, wait, who do we rank under? Who is our general, so to speak, in this military kind of picture? Well, Jesus is. And we rank under him. He gives us the author he gives us the orders and we need to obey those and, and we need to be that force that says, you know what? I'm going to be immovable. I'm not going to allow these different things coming against me to move me away from my faith in Christ. And this is the, the excitement. Paul is rejoicing about this, but from our perspective, this is just so important for us that we need to recognize, hey, we need to be this. 
We need to do this. It's so important for us to be disciplined in our Christian life, to recognize the rank that we have. You know, and there's many Christian disciplines that are so valuable when it comes to protecting ourselves. You know, if we are disciplined daily to spend time in the Word of God, that makes a huge difference in whether or not we fall for lies of deceit and different things coming. If we're disciplined to pray regularly, if we're disciplined to regularly get into fellowship with other believers, disciplined to regularly worship, disciplined to give of God our time and our treasures and our talents. You know, if we'll do these things, it has a wonderful impact of protecting us from a lot of the things that come against us. Because when we neglect them, we really struggle with that order and that steadfastness that we're supposed to have. So the fifth thing that we need to be to help protect us from danger is we need to be disciplined in following Jesus so our faith in Christ will not be moved. I mean, I just want you to realize something very important. There are many forces at work seeking to move us. That's their desire. They want to move us away from our belief, from our relationship, from who we are in Christ. And we're now in a place where we're being attacked. And these things are essential to keep us from being moved. The sixth thing that Paul tells us to be in order to protect us from the dangers that we face is in verse 6. It says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. You know, here's a challenge that we have so often in Scripture, this challenge to walk in Jesus. Now, this term walk is referring to the way in which we live our lives, to live in Jesus. But Paul gives something very specific. He shares something of how we should do this, and it's so important for us not to miss. Notice what he says. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So what Paul is saying is the way in which you and I should live should be just like the way we received Jesus Christ. We should live the way we received Christ, not in some different way. And so let me remind us from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, how is it that we received Christ? Because if we're supposed to live in the same way that we received Him, we want to make sure we understand that. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Two of the most important things we need to recognize about how we received Christ, it's, it's about the grace of God and our faith in Jesus. Grace and faith are really the, the foundation there of how we received Christ. Grace and the fact that we did nothing to deserve it, we did nothing to earn it, we couldn't work for it. It's a free gift of God's grace given to us. That's the reason why we have salvation. It's all about His grace, and we have to put our faith in Him, and the work that He did, and who He is. And that's really what it's all back to, how we received that relationship with Jesus Christ. But Paul is saying now, we need to live based on the same thing. We, we were saved by grace through faith, but the way that we move forward in our Christian life is also the same. We should be living based on that reality. It's all about God's grace and our faith 
in Him. And the reason why this is so important is because there was a big danger coming to the Colossian believers. This lie that says, you know what? You need to live your life differently from the way in which you receive Jesus. Oh, it's great that you receive Jesus, grace through faith, that's nice. But now you need to live based on your works. Now you need to earn it. Now you need to have this special knowledge. Now you need to have all these other things. And so you don't live in Christ the same way you received Christ. And this was the lie that was coming to them. And it's the lie that's coming to us today as well. You know, people will be fine with, yeah, okay, you can just say that, you know, salvation is through faith and grace, but you got to live it differently. All changes now when you start living. It's all about you and your works and earning and achieving and getting that relationship and love because of, you know, all the things that you do. And Paul's saying, no. That's not how it is. The same way that you receive Jesus is also the way in which you relate to Him as you live with Him. You know, the church that had probably the biggest problem with this is not the Colossian church. Paul is saying, hey, I am rejoicing. You guys are ordered and steadfast. You're fighting against these things. The church that have adopted it was the Galatian church. They fell for that lie. They started knowing it's all about grace and faith, and they fell for the lie that says, you know what, but i got to continue it through my works. That's the only way that I'm going to continue with salvation. That's the only way that God's going to still love me. And so Paul writes to the Galatian church, and he has some very strong words for them in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Paul asks the Galatian believers some great questions because they have gone from the reality that, hey, we started, we received Jesus' grace through faith, but then they bought into the lie that we continue and live through works. And so he says, I just want to know, how did it start? You know, did it start based on your works or did it start based on faith in Christ? Okay, great. It started based on faith. It was a, a work that God began in the Spirit. It was all based on faith in what He did, not in something that you did. Are you guys so foolish that now you actually believe that you can continue to do it or you can make it continue through your works when you couldn't even start it? God did everything to start it. You had no capacity to start it, but you think you're going to finish it through your works? Are you guys really that foolish? And he's kind of trying to help them see the illogic concept to think, I couldn't start it in my works, but I'm definitely going to finish it. No, we can't start it. We can't finish it. It's all grace and faith from the beginning all the way to the end. And this is something that Paul is wanting us to see. The way in which we live for Christ is the same way in which we received Him. It's all about what He has done and our dependence completely on Him, not in us, not in our works, not in what we do for Him, but in what He has done for us. So the sixth thing that we need to be to help protect us from danger is we need to be living in Christ the same way that we received Him in complete dependence and faith. You know, whenever we try and live 
based on something else. Whenever we fall for those little lies that sound really good to us, because we like to earn things, we like to feel like I'm doing my part, you know, I, I, I'm doing better than you, and I can see why God now loves me, because look at how often I read my Bible, or look at how much I'm serving, or, or whatever it is. You know, it feeds our pride and our flesh. It's an easy thing to fall into, but we start relating that way. It's a slippery slope that brings lots of problems into our life. The seventh thing that Paul tells us to be in order to protect us from danger is at the beginning of verse 7. He says this, rooted and built up in him. You know, with these two words that Paul uses here, it actually brings two great illustrations, great visuals for us of our relationship and our connection with Jesus. Rooted and built up. The first word here is rooted, which means to strengthen with roots to render firm, to fix, establish, to cause a person or thing to be thoroughly grounded. You know, this is one of the main purposes of roots. You know, you look at a tree and you think, man, that grows up so big and tall. I have a huge pine tree in my backyard. How does that thing not fall over? It seems so top-heavy. Well, because it has these roots that go deep down into the ground, which keeps it grounded, which keeps it from toppling over. And the deeper the roots go, the stronger the tree is going to be. It's going to last through the storms. And you can tell the trees that don't have deep roots. I mean, you've got hurricanes that come through here, and you see those trees that get ripped out of the ground. They get toppled over over the winds blow them over why because their roots aren't deep enough to withstand the storms that come but the deeper the root goes the stronger the tree ultimately will be and so Paul is painting this picture for us but notice he's saying we should be rooted in Jesus That's what gives us the strength when the storms of life come, when the difficulties hit. The deeper we are in Jesus, the more we're going to be able to sustain and withstand those things that hit us without knocking us down, without ripping us up because we're rooted in Him. Jesus spoke about what happens when we're not rooted in Him. In Matthew 13, 20 and 21, it says this, But he who received the seed on stony places... This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Jesus is saying there are those who, you know what, they have no root. And notice what happens when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word of God. They immediately stumble because there's no depth to their root to hold them, to keep them from falling over and toppling over when the difficulties face them. You know, one of the best things that we can do to help us be rooted deeper and deeper in Jesus, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law He meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever He does shall prosper. 
The psalmist gives a similar picture to what Paul is speaking of here, of being rooted as tree that's planted by the rivers of water. But notice what he associates with that. It's the person who does two things. They delight in the Word of God and they meditate on the Word of God. You want to go deeper in being rooted with Jesus Christ, delight in His Word, meditate on His Word, spend time in His Word, and this is something that's just going to bring that depth to the roots that are so necessary in our connection with Christ to protect us from the things that come against us. The second thing that Paul gives us here is a great illustration. He says that we need to be built up. The word built up here means to build upon, to finish the structure of which the foundation has already been laid. So this is speaking of being built upon a foundation. That's what this word is speaking of. That's what this picture here that Paul is giving us is all about. And so... When you build something, the foundation is essential. Because the reality is, if your foundation is weak, then whatever you build is going to be weak because your foundation is weak. If your foundation is unstable, then whatever you build is going to be unstable because the foundation is unstable. And so Paul is saying, hey, we need to be built up in Jesus. Jesus needs to be the foundation that we build upon. If we're trying to build upon any other foundation, we're going to have problems. Because the only one that we need, the only one that truly has the strength to hold us up, is Jesus Himself. Jesus spoke of the importance of building on Him as your strong foundation in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. It says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So Jesus here is giving this illustration. you got two men who build two houses on two different foundations. The first man, Jesus says, is a wise man, and the second man, he says, is a foolish man. And the reason one is wise and one is foolish is based on the foundation they choose to build upon. The wise man builds upon the foundation of the rock. It's solid. And when the storms come, the house that's built on the rock, because the foundation is strong, it enables the house to not fall and to withstand the storm. The fool, he builds on sand. And it's a weak foundation. And so as the storm comes, the house falls because the foundation the house was built upon is weak. But notice what Jesus then connects to what makes you or I foolish or Weak. He says, those that hear and do not do what I tell them are foolish. And those that hear and do are wise. You see, Jesus is the rock. He's the foundation. And so when we hear and do, we're building upon Him. But when we don't do what He tells us to do, then we're building upon something else. And He's saying, hey, those who don't listen and do what I say, you're like the fool who builds his house in the sand. And when the storms come, You're going to collapse, but if you'll build on me, you'll be able to withstand the dangers, withstand the storms, withstand the things that come 
against us. We can stand firm. Why? Because our foundation is firm in Jesus Christ. The seventh thing we need to be in order to help protect us from danger is we need to be rooted and built up in Christ so we will not be moved. I think it's interesting with both of these illustrations, really the focus is in what is beneath us will determine whether or not we stand or fall. What is it we're going to be rooted in? What is it that's going to be our foundation? What is it we're building upon? What is it that's connecting under us? It's got to be Jesus. If it's anything else, we're going to have serious problems. And this is where sometimes those subtle lies come. Oh, no, you don't need Jesus to be the foundation. You don't need to build upon Him. You know, there's all sorts of other things that we're told that, oh, you'll be fine. But no, when the storms come, we're not fine. We have a weak foundation and we crumble. The eighth thing that Paul tells us to be in order to protect us from dangers in the middle of verse 7, it says, established in the faith. You know, this Greek word translated established is actually very similar to the Greek word translated rooted. It means to make firm or reliable, to be fixed in something. But notice what Paul says we need to be fixed in. He says you need to be fixed or established in the faith. Now, this is an interesting term he used here. He is speaking of the Christian faith as a whole in totality, not just saying your personal faith in Jesus Christ, which is part of the Christian faith, but speaking even in a broader, bigger term of the faith, the Christian faith. You need to be established in that. John MacArthur said this, the sense of the word faith here is objective, referring to the truth of Christian doctrine. So the truth of Christian doctrine, what we believe as Christians, what we would title, you know, the faith, the Christian faith, all of what the scriptures teach us, which we ultimately bring to this, we need to be established in that. We need to be firmly fixed in it. We really need to have a great understanding and confidence and uh, fixing in that. You know, most of the dangers that we face are direct attacks against the Bible are direct attacks against what Scripture tells us as Christians we should do, we should believe, how we should live. And if we're not established in that, if we don't know that well, if we're not applying that to our lives, then this is going to be one of those areas where we're going to really fall for the lies, fall for the attacks, get deceived by the different things that come. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.14 that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Paul saying, you know what, guys? You need to mature. There are many Christians, you get saved, you're a baby Christian. That's just the reality of it. There's nothing wrong with that. It's perfectly natural. What's not natural is to stay that way in three, five, ten years from now, you're still a baby Christian. You should be growing to maturity. And so Paul's saying, let's stop being babies tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Because when you get first saved, you don't know much of the Bible. And so you hear this lie, you don't know it's a lie, you don't know what the Bible says about it. And you're like, oh, let's follow that because it's really popular. And the Christian bookstores are even selling it. And it's coming off the shelf. Let's read that. Let's follow that. Oh, now there's this other one. And, and you see these young believers kind of getting tossed to and fro with all sorts of doctrines that are false, that don't go with Scripture. And Paul's saying, hey, we need to stop being those kids, those babies and mature in the Word so that we recognize, oh, I'm not following that. 
That goes against God's word. I'm not following that. That's not true. I don't care how many people you know, read it or think it's popular or like what's being said. It goes against God's word. And so I'm not going to be the person who gets tossed to and fro from these things. The eighth thing that we need to be to help protect us from danger is we need to be firmly fixed and established in the truth of God's word. You know, one of the best ways we can do this, there's many ways, but one that is really helpful is what we're going to see in the next challenge here. The ninth thing that Paul tells us to be, continuing on in verse 7, he says, as you have been taught. You know, the Colossian believers, they didn't just all of a sudden wake up and know all the truths of God's word. They were taught many of these things. That's how they gained an understanding of many of the truths of the word of God that they came to. I'm sure plenty of them were also from their personal time in the word, but a lot of it, they were taught these things. Someone invested in them and shared these truths. And this is something that God has established. This is something that he designed within the church to take place so that people could gain a deeper understanding of his word. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, we're told, And he himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Jesus has given five specific giftings, roles within the church. And notice what the purpose, the ultimate purpose of all five of these gifts, all five of these roles is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And notice what one of those roles is, the role of teaching. That God has said, you know what, I'm going to gift people with the ability to teach my word to help equip believers to do the work of the ministry, which is going to edify the body of Christ. And so God has designed and says, here, I am going to give this gift to different people, and my desire is that they would use that gift to teach others my word so that more people could be equipped to do what it is that I desire the church to do and to accomplish. Now, each one of us should recognize the importance of this and take advantage of it. Take advantage of the fact that God has gifted people to teach His Word. You know, just preparing this message, I took the time to learn and study and look at men who are much more knowledgeable of the Word of God than I have, who've been studying it for much longer than I have, and I looked and I read different commentaries and I wanted to receive teaching from others so that I could grow and I could deepen in that as well. And that's something that all of us need to recognize that none of us are at a place where like, I don't need to be taught. I'm good. I'm fine. I know it all. No, none of us are there. You know, and to realize this is something that is such a blessing. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't study the Bible on your own. I'm not saying that the Spirit of God can't speak to you in your personal study. That's another great way to deepen your understanding of the Word. But God has gifted people in this way. He has appointed them in this role for a purpose that we should take advantage of And I would encourage you, don't just take advantage of it on a Sunday. You know, I just worked down in the Galleria on Friday. It took me an hour to get there in traffic in the morning. But I realized it was going to take me a while. And so on my phone, I had a teaching. And instead of getting to work thinking, man, I hate Houston traffic and having road rage the whole time, I was just listening to a teaching the whole time. I got to work just blessed and encouraged of all that I was taught 
And it just kind of changes how my day could have gone if all I was is sitting there thinking, why is it that we don't move and we go 30 minutes and two miles? But, you know, this is something where you can just take advantage of it. All of us who are driving through Houston, I'm sure, have longer commutes than we wish we did. But you can take advantage of that by listening to different teachings that would encourage you and bless you. You can grow, not just through listening to sermons. There's wonderful commentary, commentaries you can read. There's great books out there. There's a lot of things that are apologetic books that are just defending Christianity that can help you deepen and grow and how you can you know, defend when people are coming against you with different thoughts. Um, so there, there's a lot of ways in which you can take advantage of the reality that, hey, there are people that God has gifted and they communicate those things through you know, teachings or through writings or whatever that we can absorb and just really be blessed by. And at the end of the day, it's protecting us. You know, The more we understand the Word, the more we understand the truths of God, when these lies come, you, know, you might have no clue about different cults and stuff, but you pick up a, a book from a guy who's an expert in that, has been studying this whole life, and you're like, wow, this is great. I really understand this so much better. And now I feel much more able not only to be protected myself, but to share with others and, and to be used in this capacity when if I didn't read this or didn't absorb this information, I wouldn't have had that ability to do it. So it's a great way to protect us. So the ninth thing that we need to be to help protect us from danger is we need to be taught God's word. And the more, the better. The tenth and final thing that Paul tells us to be in order to protect us from danger is at the end of verse 7, and he says, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Paul's already told us that we need to be established, to be firmly fixed in the faith, in the Christian faith as the big picture. And now he gives another thing connected with the faith. He says you should be also abounding in it with thanksgiving giving. You know, this is kind of the the natural byproduct. If you're established, if you're fixed in the Word of God, that's only going to happen because you're in it, you're studying it, you're being taught it. But once you are fixed in it, you are established in it, the natural byproduct of that is it's now going to start abounding out of you. This Greek word that is spoken of here, uh, translated abounding, means to ultimately flow uh, out of you. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful word to overflow with abundance. And this is in the present tense, so it's speaking of something that should be really a continual habit, something that's regularly happening, not just something that happens once, but you know this overflowing out of your life. And this is just a natural thing. You're fixed in the Word. You're bringing it into you. You're applying it to your life. There's going to be a natural overflow that touches others. And you do it, notice what he says, with thanksgiving. That, that is just a wonderful thing. The word means to have gratitude for. You're so grateful for what God's doing in you. And not only that is impacting you personally, but that, you know what? It's going to impact other people as well. And this is another aspect of the whole protection. And we notice being knit together in love and our fourth point. And this is one of those ways that as we're knit together, as a body of believers, you know what, I could be struggling with something, but yet you're there and you're in the word and it's overflowing out of your life in the way in which you speak, in the way in which you live, it's in your marriage, it's in your parenting, it's in how you work. You know, it's just so clearly seen, it's just kind of oozing out because you're applying these truths 
And I'm struggling in an area and I see that and it just brings encouragement. It brings comfort. You can come alongside and, and there's just that ability that recognizes, hey, this isn't just blessing me. This isn't just protecting me. Those people that my life touches, I'm going to overflow onto them. But I think the other side of the coin that we need to realize is we're always going to overflow on the people. The question is, what are we pouring out? Everybody in your life is going to have stuff coming out of you onto them. Sadly, a lot of it's kind of more like vomit than it is the Word of God. It's not something they want, and it's not something that you should want to give to them because it's our sin and the junk, and, and we see that in our marriages. We see that in our relationships. We see that at work. We see different things coming out, and we're just like, oh, that's not what I want other people to be touched by coming from me. But yet as we spend time investing in the Word, establishing the Word, all of a sudden what's coming out of us are things that are encouraging, are things that are godly, are things that are a blessing. And so as we think of the people that we touch regularly, beyond just our family and friends, but our co-workers, you know, what kind of overflow do we want to hit them? And the one that comes from someone who's fixed firmly in the Word is going to be a one that blesses, but also protects. You know, we're looking for examples. When we're struggling with something, maybe you're struggling in your marriage, you want to see a, a marriage working. You know, when you're struggling, you know, at work, you want to see someone who's faithful to work hard, even when the boss is a jerk, and even though you don't get paid much or whatever it is, someone who just says, I'm doing it unto Jesus. You know, we love to see those examples. Why? Because it encourages us. If so-and-so can do it, so can I. If they can be successful in their marriage, then there's hope for mine. You know, if they can do this in this relationship, then, then I believe that this is possible for me. And so these things are a blessing, not only personally, but they overflow into the lives of others to help the body be able to better fend off the different dangers that we face. So the tenth thing that we need to be to help protect us from danger is we need to be firmly fixed in God's word so it can overflow out of our lives to others. So before Paul gets into the specifics, and the three specific things that he's going to deal with are all very important. They're important for the Colossians. They're going to be important to us because we deal with them today. But the thing that I love that he does here is he says, you, really, you know, it doesn't really matter what the particular danger is. Because if you'll do these ten things... It's going to help you, protect you from whether it's empty philosophies, whether it's legalism, whether it's false doctrine, whether it's the enemy kind of bringing temptation to you to sin, whether it's worldliness, it doesn't matter what's coming. These will all protect you from whatever life throws at us. And so there are 10 things that we need to be doing, starting with be encouraged and an encourager, be knit together with other believers in love, be continually growing in your understanding, knowledge, and wisdom of Jesus. Be on guard and in the Word in order to not be deceived. Be disciplined in following Jesus so our faith in Christ will not be moved. Be living in Christ the same way that we receive Him in complete dependence and faith. Be rooted and built up in Christ so it will not be moved. Be firmly fixed and established in the truths of God's Word. Be taught God's Word. And finally, be regularly in God's Word so it can overflow out of our lives to others. We're in a battle. Sometimes we don't want to recognize that. We don't want to really live like that, but we are. 
We're in a spiritual battle, but we're also in a battle with our culture that's completely against what we stand for, what we believe, what Christ teaches, what Christ tells us to do, what Christ says is sinful and what he says is good. The culture is the opposite of that. And so we have all these different forces trying to undermine and destroy us. And so these things are so important to protect us so that we can live the way that God wants us to. Let's pray.